the passage we're going to read today is Psalm 42 and 43. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with a multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep, into the roar of, uh, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, as my phones taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against the ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with a harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That's the reading. Good morning, everyone. Well, let's pray, and then we'll have a look. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word instructs us how we can talk to you, how we can think, how we can reason, how we can understand ourselves, how we can get to know you. Lord, we pray that as we gather around your word, that your spirit will instill in our hearts uh, greater understanding, uh, greater acceptance, uh, Lord, greater clarity, greater hope, and uh, greater faith, and greater obedience. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, for the holidays, we thought we'll just do a little bit of work in the Psalms. So uh, you should have Psalm 42, 43 in front of you. Um, just general, we all know the Psalms are this incredible part of God's Word that uh, we all live moment by moment, don't you? And Psalms is a book for every moment. So if you ever had a moment in life, as a Christian, specifically as somebody who has faith, then Psalms will give you an opportunity to know how to express that moment to God, whether it is from the heights of joy and praise and worship and you know walking on water, you've got those moments, to the moments when you are down and out and absolutely frustrated and confused and sad and bitter and lonely and lost. <laughs> 
And the Psalms will help you to put those emotions and those words and those moments into words so that you can talk to God. So that's why I take it. If you can, make Psalms part of your diet, you know, your biblical diet. Try and read a Psalm a day and pray through, you know. So over time, you learn all the seasons of life. Really is covered. There is not an emotion that a human can have that is not some way covered in the Psalms. And that's why the book is so, so near to our hearts and so good for us to do that. So the Psalms are weird because they're actually, in a weird way, God's word to us. Because they're actually all people's words to God. <laughs> so it's people shouting out to God, drawing out to God, crying out to God in different ways. Um, and as they do that, they teach us this is how we can talk to God. Which is great, great. Because sometimes you can be afraid to tell God you're angry with him. And the Psalms tells you you can, you can tell God you're angry with him. He can handle it. Uh, don't be afraid. Come and tell him you're angry. Tell him you're confused. Tell him you're sad. Tell him you're thankful. He can handle anything as long as you talk to him uh, and not to anybody else about him as such when you complain. If you complain to him, don't complain about him to somebody else. Basically what the Psalms is trying to teach us. So that's why we're just touching on this. Uh, whole idea uh, in the Psalms. So I just want to remind you, so just generally, just make it part of your daily reading. Grab a psalm a day, and that keeps the doctor away. So that is a good thing. Psalm 42, 43, uh, as you will note there, is part of the start of the second book. So Psalm consists of five books um, of Psalms, and this is the start of the second uh, book. Um, And this really is a psalm that teaches us something about it when we are depressed. This is a moment of crisis in this uh, uh, writer's uh, uh, life. It doesn't tell us who it is. Um, It doesn't say that it's a a psalm of David. Um, It just goes on. It's most likely written by David, but we're not sure. We're not told that it is written by him. Um, And so what is interesting about this psalm is it's really a psalm talking about when life's bottom has fallen out and you are depressed. I mean, listen listen to the language, verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. When you're depressed, one of the interesting things you'll find is you don't want to eat. You're down and you just want to cry and you cry when you wake up and you cry when you go to bed. (laughs) And the person here is experiencing life um, very depressing. He's overwhelmed. He wants to find God. He pants for God. He knows God is real. He knows God is out there, but he feels like he's got absolutely no contact with God. He's got no relationship with God at the moment. He's, uh, He's desperate, really. He's shouting and screaming. Uh, I like, uh, for instance, verse 7 as well. Look at what he says. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. Your waves and breakers have swept over me. He feels like he's in the washing machine. You know, you know have you ever been taking a nice uh, wave at um, a, a nice big dumper? You know what a dumper is? Those ones that pick you up and then they throw you into the sand and they mix you and uh, you have to get the sand out of your pants because it's everywhere. You don't know where up and down is. Um, He says, that's how I feel about life at the moment. I'm all over the place. I feel like I'm caught in a washing machine. Actually, he's caught in the the bottom of a uh, waterfall, which is a little bit worse, I think. Um, So you can see the language is desperate. Um, It's also almost accusative. You almost accuse God. Look at what he says in verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? What's your story? Don't you realize who I am? Don't you know me? Have you forgotten me? 
And you feel like that from time to time? God has forgotten you? And things just go on and on, and you've got the same frustration over and over again. So this is a great psalm, a psalm that kind of captures those kinds of emotions. Now, it's two psalms, and I put them together because most likely they at some stage were one psalm. Uh, as JJ has kind of broken it up for us in different stanzas, uh, there is that repeated uh, phrase. Uh, verse 5, verse 11, and verse uh, 5 of, chap- uh, of Psalm 43 is very similar to one another. But what is interesting about this psalm is that this psalm is very interesting. So the language I've rewrote that phrase for you on the outline because our translations have kind of evened them out. Now, they're not wrong. It's just that they don't put the emphasis exactly where um, uh, the psalm itself puts it. So listen to that um, uh, refrain. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. That's the same in all three, the refrains. But there's a slight twist in the next line. So in verse, in, in verse 5 of Psalm 42, he says, um, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him for the salvation of your face. It's a funny phrase, isn't it? It's very poetic. It's very nice. When, how do you know that I acknowledge you and I am open to you? I'm looking at you. Nice to be here. So good to see you all. See how beautiful it is? He says, God, I know your face is turned to me, and that is my salvation. You want open facial relationship with me. That's what he actually is confessing. It's amazing, isn't it? I will yet praise you for your face is my salvation. Beautiful. I mean, it's a little bit more than just he's my savior and my God. I mean, it's it's true. Of course he is. But the language is very beautiful. He says, your face, in your face, when I look into your face, I see my salvation. That's actually what he's saying. The moment he's looking everywhere except in God's face, he's looking at his circumstances. And he says, they are like a waterfall. I'm up and down. I'm eating tears morning and night. People are accusing me. I feel like my bones are literally being shattered. I'm exhausted. So when I look at my life, I'm like, ah! But I want to look into God's face because that's where I see God's attitude and heart towards me. I want to look where God is. See how he does it in the psalm just now. The second uh, 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 two times the phrases come up, he changes the language ever so slightly. He says, the last uh, uh, refrain says, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him for the salvation of my face and my God. (laughs) So here's the funny thing. When I look into your face and I see your salvation, my face starts to change and light up. For you are my God. True, isn't it? If you are upset and you walk into somebody's face and they are open and smiling and very caring, then you kind of, oh yes, this one nice, decent human being in the universe that seems to want to talk to me, and that lights up your face. There's a little bit of hope, isn't it? 
So it's interesting. I've put down the note there, moods, mirrors, and matters of the heart. The amazing thing is that God has made us so that our faces mirror our hearts. Did you know that? That's why from now on, if we come to church, don't be surprised if you get a mirror with the Bible. I mean, a real one. Or some of you have got these fancy reverse cameras on your cell phones. You can just put that on. It's really important for us to realize that. That my face reflects, mirrors my heart at any given moment in my life. That's good news, isn't it? It means I can't fool myself, although I do manage to fool myself. Actually, when I look at my face, I can see the mood of my heart. Where my hope is? Where's my treasure? Where's my stability? Where's my foundations? What do I really believe? That's, that's amazing. And that's what he's saying here in this psalm. He's actually working himself out of a moment of desperation. This is faith at work, really what it is. This is strong, powerful, good faith at work. Because life sometimes hits the stuffings out of you, doesn't it? It just is overwhelming at times. And you think, what is going on? Where is God in all of this? So that's what we want to do quickly this morning. I just want to pick up the method that he uses, and it may help you. I hope it will. Uh, it certainly has helped me. It's one of these psalms that I, you know, you're not supposed to have favorites, hey? Because all God's word is good if you really understand it. But this is one of my favorite passages in the scriptures. Because I find myself often in positions where I've, got myself and looking at life in a certain way into a position where I'm depressed. And then this helps me to catch myself. So quickly, have a look there. Faith at work in the middle of your outline. I've kind of put down four points. So this is the short and then we'll do the long, all right? The short of it is simply this. Take yourself in hand. Meaning, tell yourself the truth about where you are at at the moment. That means own it, admit it. You know, here's the funny thing. You are talking to yourself, all right? The issue is don't listen to yourself, but listen to what you're telling yourself. That's really what he's doing. So you look at verse 5. He does it in the first five verses, really. He's actually becoming aware. He's actually acknowledging to himself where he's at. He says, I am longing for God. I am overwhelmed. I'm tired. I'm depressed. I'm down and out. I have known great heights with God. I have got nothing at the moment like that. That's where I am. And so I listen to the language in verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Who's he talking to? Himself. You're allowed to talk to yourself, all right? You are talking to yourself, but you don't realize you're talking to yourself. So it's better to know you're talking to yourself. <laughs> he says, why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He says, I'm disturbed inside of me. Are you ever disturbed inside of you? Have you noticed that when you can say it, you almost already have a bit of control over that disturbingness? If you can't, the rest of the family needs to suffer the consequences. So the first thing you need to learn to do is actually listen to what you are telling yourself. That's what he's saying. It's weird. Bible encourages you to talk to yourself. Admit where you are. Be honest, brutally honest. That's one of the things you learn from the Psalms. They never push your foot around with where they are. Whether they are in the heights of worship or in the doldrums of absolute despair, they are absolutely honest with themselves. And that's one of the things we need to learn to do. 
capture your own emotions, name them, claim them, admit them, accept them. That's where you are at the moment, you see? And it's a moment in your life. This is where I am at the moment. And this moment, my eyes and my heart and my emotions are an expression of what I value and what I see and what is important for me at that moment. It's a moment. But it is a moment. Isn't it? It's real. That's where you really are. And that's what he's discussing in the first couple of verses. And he becomes aware of himself in verse 5, and then he starts to talk to himself. He questions himself. What on earth is your story, Ludwig? You ever ask yourself that question? I become Ludwig Alberts when my wife is upset with me. Otherwise, I'm bully or lovey or something else. Ludwig Alberts, what are you thinking? It's a serious conversation. See what he's doing? But he's questioning himself. He's not only taking responsibility, he's actually questioning himself. And that's what I've tried to put down there. Never ever accept your own perspective on reality as the truth ever. We all live in reality, but we all live by our perspective of reality at that moment. They're two slightly different things. We all live in real reality, but we all are living in our perspective of that reality at that moment. And when we are getting into these times when we are digging in into our own pain and frustration and agony, the reality is, is that there's one person we always almost instinctively leaves out of the picture of reality, and that is God. Weird. It's his reality. You remember Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning, God made time and space and matter. Everything is his. And yet... When we are in trouble and when we are overwhelmed, the one person we will almost by default leave out is God. We'll believe ourselves. So that's just not very wise because that means I am at that moment not living in reality. I'm living in my perspective of reality. And so he's saying this to himself. Hey, oh, what are you doing? Where are you looking? What are you hoping for? Where's your heart? Where's your hope? Where's your certainty? Who is involved in your reality? See what he's doing? He's actually talking to himself. And he's questioning himself. And he's wrestling with himself. So don't listen to yourself. Know that you are talking to yourself, but never listen to yourself. Realize you are informing your heart at that very moment. We all do that. But don't actually accept it as true. Because that will have a certain effect on you. And then he says... Point yourself towards God. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him. Remind yourself that this moment is God's moment that you live in. See what He's doing? Look carefully. So he, He's introducing God to Himself, because He's forgotten about God. He actually longs for God, but He's forgotten that God has actually in control of things. So listen to the language change in verse 6. My soul is downcast within me. So, okay, now I've admitted it. Okay, I can. I want to know why, and I can admit that I am. What do I now do now that I've introduced God to my own understanding? Because I'm a believer. What am I doing now? Look at what He says in rest of verse six. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. Funny, isn't it? When you're down. 
Do you therefore remember God? That takes a conscious decision to do that. See how beautiful he says, I've asked myself, what are you doing? Where are you? Uh, put your hope in God. Okay, God, now that I know that I'm disturbed within me, I am going to remember you. Now listen to the language. He says, from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep course to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. See how the language changed? It's not life has happened to me. It's not I feel like I'm in a washing machine. Now, God, I realize I'm in your washing machine. You see what he's saying? Not life is happening to me and it's all over the place. Lord, it's your mountains, it's your heights, and it's your depths, and it's your turning me all over. It's your waves and breakers are going over me. See how he's, he's starting to not only have told himself about his problem, he's now starting to see his problem in the light of the reality of God. It's God's heights, it's God's lows, it's God's washing machine. Yours. I don't know why it's doing, verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? But now I'm talking to God, my rock. You see, so first you need to tell yourself, you need to accept what you are telling yourself. This is what I'm telling myself. Then I've got to introduce God into the picture and say, oh, I need to now look at reality from God's perspective. This moment in my life is not outside of his control. My up and down is his waves and breakers that are flowing over me. I've come all the way from the top of the mountain. I've been there at the top, and I've fallen down the waterfall, and now I'm being spinned. And it's yours that are doing it. Lord, you are my rock. You are the foundation. Why are you doing it? Now I'm starting to tell God about my problem. First, I've admitted my problem to myself. Now I've introduced God. Now I've seen the reality in the light of God. Now I'm starting to say to God, God, this is my problem. Why are you doing this to me? You are doing this. You are allowing my enemies to gloat over me. Why? Why are you doing it? See what he's doing? Starting to slowly work his own mind through. He realizes that an enemy cannot gloat over him if God doesn't allow it. God, you allow this. God, you allow these circumstances that absolutely seems to devastate me. Why? Do you ask God that? Have you introduced him to yourself? And one says, this isn't weird. You've got to introduce God to yourself. And then you've got to work through what is going on. He says, my bones are being lacerated. By people saying to me all day long, where's your God? Now, we don't know if it's him saying it to him, or his enemies are saying to him, or Satan saying to him. He doesn't tell us. He just says, it's devastating. On top of all of this, everybody's taunting me. And then he asks himself the question again. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for the salvation of my face will come about because you're my God. I will actually get in. And now he's starting to actually plead with God. God, vindicate me. Verse 1 of chapter 43, and plead my cause against the unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? So you see, he's interrogating his situation with God. 
He's actually taking a, he's taking God on. Do you ever feel you can wrestle with God? Ask him, why are you doing this? I don't get it. My perspective is that it's yours and you are in control of all things. And no one can do anything to me if you are not in control. But why are you allowing this to happen to me? Vindicate me. Show that I am your person. Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? What is going on here? And then his prayer says to God, God, but you must do something for me, not just save me from those situations. Now it's interesting, the thing starts to change. Look at how he picks it up there in verse 3. Send me your light and your faithful care or your truthfulness. Let them lead me. Where to? Look at what he says. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, my God, my joy, and my delight. God, help me to see where your face is the clearest expression of your heart towards me. Because my circumstances leave me perplexed. You see what he's saying? My circumstances are perplexing. I've got no idea why you're allowing all of this stuff to happen to me. But... Let your light and your truthfulness lead me to where you have revealed yourself the clearest. Where is your face to be seen? Well, the place where you dwell. And for them it was the temple. And inside the temple was the altar. How do you know God's face towards you? Where will you see it? Why an altar? What's the issue about an altar? How do you know God loves you? I think JJ has given the New Testament answer. For while we were still sinners, God showed his love for us in this, that Jesus Christ died for our sin. So here's the really funny thing. How do I know God's face is towards me? Do I look at my circumstances? Or do I allow his light and his truthfulness to lead me to where he has expressed his heart for me? The clearest. And that is in the forgiveness of sin. I can see it's a lay down for most of you. Do you value the reality and the necessity and the essentiality of the forgiveness of sins for your life the way God does? Part that JJ didn't read actually answered the picture. We're not only sinners, we are powerless, says the passage. We are God's enemies. And we are ungodly. We are not like him. And God says, my face towards you lies in exactly forgiving you for all of that reality. 
David says, lead my mind to look where you shine your face. Where do I know with absolute certainty that you love me? It will lead me to the mountain. It will lead me to the temple. It will lead me inside the temple to the altar. And then, oh my God, my joy, my delight. Because now I know how much you care for me. You have removed the one thing that will separate me from you forever you have dealt with. That's how I know. I still don't know what the heck is going on. Look how it ends, verse 5. Why, my soul, are you disturbed? Why so, uh, why, uh, so downcast or disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, for he will save my face, and he's my God. You see, when you actually find foundations of truth, funny enough, your heart starts to have hope. When your heart has hope, how do you know you've got hope? See it in your face. Isn't it true? So now that we can obviously now get the whole thing wrong and we can all walk around with this <laughs> painful smile expression on our faces because we desperately don't want anybody to know what's going on in our hearts. No, that's not what he's writing about. He's saying, no, rather work it from the inside out. Become aware of where your heart is at the moment because your face is telling you that. Don't turn your face, change your heart. Go to where God has revealed his glory and his goodness towards you forever. And that will give you hope in your heart. And hope will express itself in your face. Isn't that incredible? Weird, but great. I've got to dig in and value what God values. I take it that is the problem with mankind. Not sure if you agree with me. We just do not value what God values. God says, I value you to have a relationship with me more than anything else in this life. And we think, yeah, yeah, but I need my circumstances to be better. That's our tendency, isn't it? So this psalm is very helpful because it actually flushes the whole thing through your system. And it takes a long time. He ends saying, I will yet praise you. I'm not fully there. But I know that because you have dealt with my sin, I will praise you forever. Because that is the biggest problem that I have in life. I cannot deal with my sin. You have. I will yet praise you. I'm not doing it at the moment. At the moment, I'm confused and I'm upside down. But I know, I have faith that I will yet praise you flat out. It's coming. So that's why when we play golf every now and again, and somebody hits a very good drive, you know, anyone who golfers will know how that feels. It doesn't happen often, but when it does happen, the joke that we've learned to tell one another, to encourage one another, is that that was the second best drive that you've hit today. And people are often a bit taken aback. No, that's the best. No, no, the best is still coming. <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ has made sure that the best is still coming. Do you believe that? As you wrestle through your own issues, whatever it is that you tend to look at 
and that disturbs you and throws you off kilter. The whole process is to become aware of that process and to say, yeah, that's right, I am there. I am at the moment just not where I know I can be, should be, hope to be, will be, because Jesus Christ is the one who is able to help me to focus on what God has done for my sin. And he's dealt with it. And therefore I can rejoice. And I will rejoice again. That's where the psalm is pushing you, isn't it? I mean, that's Jesus, and that's Jesus' own life. He is the one who perfectly actually does Psalm 42, 43. He sweats blood. He's perplexed. He's frustrated with the disciples. But he does not live by that frustration. He lives by his understanding and knowledge of the Father. And that's what he calls us to do. He says, I've done it for you. Now come to me. And as you come to me, I will give it to you. So the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Anyone in quotes Hebrews chapter 12? He's the author and the perfecter of faith. Who for the joy set before him, that is coming, he endured the cross and scorned its shame and is now seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. Here's the road. Fix your eyes on Jesus. As you value him, funny enough what happens, it changes your perspective on your now. And because he's gone through it, and much worse than you, and has come out on the other side, you know that there is absolute certain hope in him. But in him alone. Isn't it? In him alone. That's where he says we ought to go. And so, I mean, I've given you a whole lot of passages there, and they're not half of what the Galatians 2.20, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me. How do I know he loved me? He gave himself for me. There it is again. How do I know God loves me? He's given himself in Christ Jesus on the cross for my sin, and he's been raised to life. How do I know? That's how I know. Where do I find hope? That's where I find hope. Where do I find joy? That's where I find joy. Nowhere else. Every other joy and success is fleeting. I wish it wasn't like that. I honestly often wish it wasn't like that. The Word of God tells us, the reality is, is that everything outside of Jesus Christ will perish, fade, and spoil. So go and read for yourself. Just do yourself a favor. I've actually skipped out a couple of verses, but go and read 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You can start in the beginning, but verse 18 to chapter 5, verse 10. Just read it. Just listen to the language. He says, inwardly we are being renewed. Outwardly we are wasting away. Now, I don't want to be nasty, but I can see it. Do you realize it? You are wasting away. Where is your hope? He says, in the resurrection, he says, I am perplexed, but not in despair. Why? Because Jesus Christ has been raised to life. I am squeezed, but I'm not crushed. Why? Because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. I have fallen 
But I'm not destroyed. Why? Because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and he will raise me up with him and everyone that believes in him. You see how incredible that is? But you've got to work hard. You've got to get your mind there because our mind doesn't want to go there. Our mind wants to go around to our circumstances. Give me a better wife, better husband, better kids, better government, better health, better financials. Lord, do you love me? Why is my life like this? Why did you put me with these people? Why? Lord, let your light and your truthfulness lead me to the place where your face shines on me for eternal life. And that is in Jesus Christ. Amazing, isn't it? I mean, we know it. <laughs> I'm sure I haven't told you anything you don't know. The wonderful thing is, is that we have to learn to go through this, and we go through it often. And that's the wonder of what he is saying to us, is that as we look to Christ, we will find God's face shining on us. And Jesus Christ is the face of God. He is the glory of God. And as we look at him, we are being changed from one set of glory to the next. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Where's your hope? Really? Have you worked it through? Is it on your face? In Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone, who took on flesh. In Christ alone. And in that way, encourage one another. And let's help one another to work this through. No guilt in life. You know that? Your guilt has been dealt with? It's gone? Never, ever, ever to be raised again? Ever? No fear in death? This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man, and especially including my own, can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Work it out until you rejoice. Thank you for being here. Hope to see you next week. Have a good week.